So uh, God bless all of you for being healthy enough to make it to the house of God. Or if you weren't healthy, you came anyhow. Amen. In the old days, we all came to church whether we were sick or healthy. or If we could walk, you know, we would get here or crawl or somehow. But, uh, and you survived the time change, you know. You know, they say nowadays everything changes automatically, you know, with all these iPhones and everything. So uh, God bless all of you for being in the house of the Lord today. It's great to see uh, Brother Joel, uh, Marlon, his family, amen, from Texas. Always happy to have them uh, with us. This is Sister Marietta Patchen's son and grandchildren, and we're blessed to have them with us this morning. John chapter 5 and verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I want to speak this morning for a few moments in your hearing on this subject, the bread of life, the bread of life. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we're so thankful to be in your house, thankful for the opportunity to worship you. We ask you, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to your word now. Let the word of God fall on good ground. Let it just take root in our heart and in our spirit and produce life. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this bread of life. Help us, Lord, to be able to give everything to you all of our heart, all of our soul, and our mind, and our strength, recognizing, Lord, that you are our substance, and everything we need, we find in you. Everybody said, in Jesus' name, you may be seated. Thank you for standing. They were uh, discussing bread this entire chapter, John chapter 5, the disciples, and uh, Jesus, and all that went into this, and it was quite an interesting discussion. If you were to study uh, this chapter in detail, you would find that bread was sort of the focal point of the entire uh, chapter. And really to understand the significance of it, you have to understand the significance of bread in that culture, the significance of bread in the Middle East. In the Middle East, especially during the times of Christ, bread was the staple of life. It really uh, was the principal food uh, of the people. All other dishes were really considered to be accessories, you know, but bread was... Uh, sacred. It had a sacredness of its own. And even today, even to this very day, if you go to the Middle East, you will find that Jews or Arabs alike, it doesn't matter uh, really uh, which demographic, but even uh, Jews or Arabs, they, they never will even tread on a piece of bread underfoot. They, it doesn't matter how spoiled it is or how contaminated it is. Uh, they will never despise or disregard it. An Arab walking down a village street seeing a piece of bread on the ground would be careful to pick it up and put it in a little niche in the wall in case somebody coming by would be hungry, hungry enough to eat that piece of bread or maybe even animals that would come by. But whatever the uh, uh, particular need is, they always would see bread as meeting that need. The view of the importance and the sanctity of bread is expressed over and over again in the Bible so that the words of our Savior 
I believe, carry an even greater significance when interpreted by the rest of Scripture. Needless to say, the bread of which our Lord was speaking of in this passage before us was not the material bread which satisfies physical hunger, but it was heavenly bread, that heavenly bread that satisfies the spiritual hunger of man. And just as the material bread is fundamental to man's physical life, so the heavenly bread is essential to man's spiritual life. I, like many Americans, have always tried to figure out a way to control my weight. It is a battle that seems like you're constantly losing. And you got to do this and you got to do that. And all these different people tell you all different things that you need to do to make sure that you can win the battle of the bulge. But one thing that always seems to be consistent, regardless of who you talk to, and they all tell you, you need to eat less bread. Have any of you have you ever heard that? Don't eat so much bread. Just say no to bread. The problem is, I really like bread. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> I mean, bread is good. I like my chicken sandwich in the middle of bread. I like to drag it through oil. I can taste it now, even as I'm speaking. Let's all go to Carabas after church. You want to? Bishop is buying for everybody today after church. <laughs> oh, man. And put it in your mouth and fresh, hot bread coming right out of the oven. Bread in all of its forms is good. Biscuits, muffins, pancakes, donuts. I even like croutons. I like dried up bread that's hard. Croutons even taste good, especially on the backdrop of lettuce. I'll go through the salad looking for the croutons. <laughs> I don't care what they say. Bread is good for the natural man. <laughs> and even though a secular world is trying to take bread out of our spiritual diet as well, they're trying to take spiritual bread out of our spiritual diet. I want to tell you today that there's nothing like the bread of life for the spiritual man or woman that says, I need God. I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to find anything to satisfy your spiritual hunger except the bread of life, which are the words of Christ. You can't satisfy that spiritual hunger with some sort of a 10-step program. You can't satisfy with some sort of a crystal hanging around your rearview mirror. You're not ever going to be able to satisfy that spiritual hunger until you get the bread of life, which comes straight from the Word of God. Jesus is that bread of life, and we need Him every day. Now, I want to break this down uh, in, a, in an outline form for you this morning and tell you what I believe heavenly bread or this bread of life that the Lord was talking to His disciples about, what it really does and how God intends for it to sustain us in terms of our spiritual man. As you well know, we are body, soul, and spirit. And, and, and the body, the physical, we live in a physical world, we're physical beings, and so that gets the most attention. But we know when it comes to eternity, what's most important is not necessarily the condition of our physical man as much as it is our spiritual man. That soul and that spirit, are we feeding it? Is it, is it malnutritioned? Is it something that uh, needs some uh, a, a, a meal from the Word of God this morning? And so 
Let's focus for just a moment on that because I believe there are some specific things that we can find from the Word of God that will give us clear direction. Number one, heavenly bread supplies. Everybody say supplies. It supplies spiritual life. Now we're going to take the words of Christ as we go through this. He said this, and I quote, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Now I'm going to say, I'm going to say that's pretty important because this spiritual bread, it literally gives us what we need for eternal life. So in order to become the bread of life to men and women, there had to be this spiritual death. This is really what Calvary is all about. In other words, for this bread to produce eternal life in us, there had to be a death or a dying of that bread of life. Now, here's some things I'd like for you to consider. Number one, Christ was bruised for us. He was bruised for us. Now, if you have your Bibles and you look in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 28, it says that he was the bread corn bruised. Now, apparently, and I'm not a chef, but apparently if you make bread, you take it and you want to make corn bread, there has to be a, a grinding or a bruising that takes place because the corn has to be crushed. And before bread can be made, it has to be crushed. This is what Isaiah 28, 28 was saying. Because back there, they didn't have the modern you know, technology like we do now. But back then, they would grind it, and they would bruise it under the grindstone, and then they would mix it in with that kneading dough. This is a truly vivid picture, I believe, of the suffering of which our Lord had to go through. Because Isaiah also records in the 53rd chapter, in verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. So this bread of life was bruised. And because of that, it produces this life-giving spiritual bread that satisfies the longing of our soul. There was an illustration that I, I, I want to share with you. I heard about a man who was a fireman, and he was an unbeliever. But he was a fireman, and he rescued a little boy from a burning cottage. And to do so, he had to literally climb up a pipe, a hot pipe that was full of, of hot water. With his bare hands, he had to climb up uh, this pipe to get to uh, the upper floor where this uh, little boy was in this uh, burning house. The woman who had cared for the boy had perished in the fire. And so this fireman climbed up this hot burning pipe on the outside of the building and he was able to rescue the boy, but he had scarred up his hands with the fire and the heat of this pipe. And so um, after the fire was put out and they recognized that this little boy's only caretaker, this uh, lady was, had also died in the fire, then they tried to decide who would take care of this young boy where there was a couple that came forth, and they said, we would like to have him. We have plenty of money. We would be able to support him, make sure he gets a good education and that he's taken care of. We have no children of our own, and we would give him a good education. And uh, they thought, well, that, that seems like that would be pretty good. And then others came forth, and they also 
offered uh, the boy a home. And then at some point it appeared that the judge would make a decision. But at the last moment, the fireman stood up. And the fireman said, I should like to have him. And he held up his hands that were burned. And he said, I saved the boy's life. And I have the evidence right here in my hands that I sacrificed so that this boy could be saved. And I believe that I would like to adopt him and to take care of him. The judge immediately agreed. And others were concerned about it because they knew that the fireman was an unbeliever and would not raise the boy, perhaps, in an understanding and knowledge of the fear of God. But the judge uh, had to give in. There was this unbelievable evidence. This fireman had saved the boy's life. Certainly, he had a right to raise the boy since he sacrificed his own life. And so, the boy was adopted by the fireman. And the fireman proved to be a very a good father. He loved him. Uh, he loved him as his own son. Uh, he provided for him. He took care of him. He didn't take him to church because he was an unbeliever. But in all the natural sense, he took care of this, this boy. And the boy began to grow and become older. And one day, um, this father, this fireman, took him to an art gallery. And the boy caught sight of a painting of Christ on the cross. And he asked his father, this fireman, his adopted father, he said, Dad, who is that man? And the father quickly tried to uh, sort of push him away and, and sort of get him distracted with other things and said, Son... Let's look over here and let's look over there. But you know how kids are. When you try to distract them, they inherently know what you're doing. And they become even, dog, even more dogmatic about what their original request was. And so the boy kept going back to the painting and kept saying, Dad, who is this? Now tell me who it is. And look at him and his, his hands are, are bleeding and he's on the cross and who is this? And so the fireman felt uh, compelled to try to uh, give the boy just a very quick a brief story about Christ. And as the father starts to tell the boy about who Jesus was, the boy says, well, why is his hands bleeding? And he says, well, the, the man's hands are bleeding because he was crucified. And the boy said, well, why was he crucified? And why did they drive nails in his hands? And he said, well, he, he felt like that was what his mission was. And he had to do that uh, so that he could save others. And while the father is telling the son this story, I get goosebumps just talking about it. In the art gallery, the man literally starts to cry as God reveals to this man that he did for the fireman what the fireman did for this boy. And the boy starts to say, Dad, what is it? What is it? And the, and the father is crying and through tears, he says, Son, it is important for us to give our heart to God, and I have been running from this. But God has made it clear to me today. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the spiritual bread that we are talking about today. He was bruised. He was wounded. And when we get to this point in time of this year where we really talk about what is the significance of what Jesus did on Calvary, ladies and gentlemen, we have to all agree that he was indeed bruised for our iniquities. And if there is anyone that has a right for us to give an account to for our action, it is the one, hallelujah, who suffered and died so that you and I would live. He is the bread of life. But not only was he bruised for us, he was also baked. He was baked for us. For We read in Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 4 that he was the meal offering 
the meal offering in the oven. As you well know, bread is so delicious when it is baked. But to be baked, it must go through the fire. It must go into the heat. And whatever transpired in the darkness of that oven of God's holy wrath will never be understood by you and I, by these finite minds that we have. But all we know is that it was the heat of that that, that indescribable experience that the Son of Man cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'd ask for you to consider the elements of a meal offering this morning. Number one, fine flour, I believe, speaks to the evenness and the balance of the character of Christ. For a meal to be able to be baked properly, it must be evenly distributed. I believe that talks about how you and I can live a balanced life in Christ and how Christ was that perfectly evenly distributed perfection in which no quality was in excess and yet none was lacking. Second of all, consider the fire of his testing by suffering even unto death. Thirdly, consider the frankincense or the fragrance of his life before God. As you read in Exodus chapter 30 and verse 34, you'll see that there was something, there was a sweet smelling fragrance, not on the natural side to just look at him. In fact, if you were to just look at Jesus from a natural viewpoint, there was nothing that would draw you to him. But yet when you were in his presence, there was a sweetness, there was a fragrance, there was something that radiated within the hearts of people's inward man. They couldn't always describe it, but it was as if their spirit and their soul, it, there was a connection that took place and there was something that people felt rest and comfort in his word. Also, I'd ask that you would consider the absence of leaven of his character because of the truth that he embodied. And we read about that in John 14. And then consider the absence of honey. It was not that mere natural sweetness that may exist apart from that inward fragrance or grace. And that is what we see in a meal offering. Then consider the oil that was mingled as Christ was born of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 1, we read that. And then the oil upon which Christ was baptized into the Spirit as we read about in John chapter 1 and in John chapter 6. And then consider the oven of the unseen sufferings of Christ and his inner agonies. And then consider the pan of his more evident sufferings that we read about in Matthew 27. And then consider the salt, the salt or the pugnancy of the truth of God, that which arrests the action of the leaven. And all of those things that are necessary in a meal offering were also demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ so that he was not only bruised for us as the bread of life, but he was also baked for us as the bread of life. But not only that, he was also broken for us as the bread of life. Speaking of his death, he could say through Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, this is my body which is broken for you. How is Jesus Christ the bread of life for those inner longings of every human being? It's because he was bruised and he was baked and he was broken. And by being bruised and baked and broken for us, the Lord Jesus becomes the bread of life so that he could say with all absolute moral authority, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. No other person could say that. 
only Jesus Christ. So the question for all of us today is, can you look up into his face right now, this very moment, and can you say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for being bruised, baked, and broken. You are the bread of life. Why don't we take a moment right now, and could you lift your hands, close your eyes, and could you look into the face of God and say, indeed, Lord, you are the bread of life. You indeed are my strength and my song. Thank you, Lord, for you were bruised, you were broken, and you were baked, God, so that I could have forgiveness of sin, so that I could have this bread of life that would feed the inner hunger. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, possessions won't satisfy that hunger. Relationships will not satisfy that hunger. There is no job on this planet that will satisfy that hunger. There is nothing in this world. There's no drug. There is nothing in this society. There is nothing that has been created by man. There is no cheap substitute that can satisfy you like the bread of life. It's what every man and woman longs for. And it is available. During a fearful famine in India some years ago, a missionary visiting around the villages met a boy who was nothing but skin and bone. He immediately invited the boy to go to the mission compound that had been set up and to ask for food. The boy pleaded that he would not be admitted to the compound unless he had some authorization. So the missionary, taking a slip of paper, addressed a note to the storekeeper and handed it to the boy, saying, this is my promise of food for you. Several days later, the poor boy was found lying dead with the piece of paper perforated and tied around his neck. What had happened was simply this. He never acted upon the promise, nor did he ever appropriate that which would have been the means of life for him. The question for all of us is, how many people are dying around us today because they will not act upon God's promise and come and take the bread of life Though it has been freely given, though the note is in our hand, and we long for it and are desperate for it in our inner man, we must act upon what we know will save our lives. The second thing we know about heavenly bread is that it sustains spiritual life. Jesus said, as the living Father has sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Now that really sounded like strange words then as it does now. We read it in John chapter 6 and verse 57. So when the supply of life is communicated through the moment that a man or a woman asks God to forgive him of his sins, that bread of life, that, that is so readily available to all of us, it begins to develop and grow in an individual. And it develops only as the, the, the believer will continue to feed upon Christ. And it's very interesting to notice that the Lord Jesus intends for all of us to feed on Him. But exactly how does that work? Well, first of all, 
Consider the words of Christ. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. So the question for all of us today is, how do we consume Christ? Because we know that this bread of life will also sustain us on a daily basis. Well, I believe we can do it by three specific ways. Number one, by feeding on the Word of God. Oh, folks, I tell you, I've never appreciated the Word of God even more than I do right now in 2016. If there's ever been a time that we need the Word of God to be the staple of our diet, our spiritual diet, our daily diet, our natural diet, if there's ever been a time that the Word of God must be the focal point, it is right here today in this 21st generation. By feeding on the Word of God, we know this. It's the exact same thing that the Lord did when he had to withstand the attacks of Satan. When the Lord Jesus answered Satan's attacks in the wilderness, he revealed the method by which he sustained his spiritual life. Recall his words for a moment, and I quote from Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He was literally using the analogy that natural bread alone will not be able to sustain you. You must also have spiritual bread. This, he says, after coming off of a 40-day fast. Everything inside of his body was craving natural bread. But he withstood Satan through spiritual bread. In other words, Jesus was teaching that material bread is not sufficient. Man must feed constantly on the bread which comes from God. If his spiritual life is to be sustained, Jeremiah must have known something of this in his experience when he said, and I quote from Jeremiah 15 and 16, thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. In France, there once lived a, a, a young girl who was um, blind. She was a very poor girl and she was blind. She had an incredible love for the Word of God. In particular, she loved the Gospel of Mark. And at a young age, she was given the Gospel of Mark in Braille form, where the letters were raised. And she had learned how to read Braille, and though she had no sight in her eyes, she could read the book of Mark through her fingers. And she would read it every day, and putting her fingers on that raised print, she would read it, and it would minister to her. And she would cry, and she would read it over and over and over again. And as she would read it so often with her fingers, her fingers literally became calloused. And her sense of touch began to, to be diminished until she couldn't distinguish the characters anymore with her fingers. And it distressed her to the point where she literally cut her fingers in an effort to rid the calluses on her fingers. And in cutting her fingers, she, she didn't get more sensitivity to it, it literally began to destroy her fingers. And finally, in an act of desperation, she said, I must give up. I cannot continue. Her fingers literally had become bloody. She had cut them. They were calloused. She could not read anymore. And she said, I must give up this gospel book that has sustained me every day. And weeping, she pressed it to her lips and said, farewell, farewell, sweet word of my heavenly Father. And as she did, to her surprise, 
Her lips were more delicate than her fingers. And she could tell what the letters were by putting them up to her lips. And she started to cry, and all night she would peruse the scriptures with her lips, and she began to sing forth the word of God. And she was overflowed with joy with this new acquisition that through her lips she could still read the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, there's something about this word of God that feeds the inner man. The world can't explain it. But if you've ever had that moment in time where you realize, I need God, and I need Him more than anything, and you've gone to the Word of God, and you have digested that Word into your spirit, it has ministered to you in such a powerful way. It is what sustains us. I dare say to you today that you and I will not make it without the Word of God. We must have the Word of God. The second way that we consume Christ is by the feeding of the will of God. Not just the Word of God, but the will of God. He could say in John 4, 34, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Similarly for us, to fulfill God's will in everything is to prove the sustained and the sustaining quality of the bread of life. But it doesn't stop there. The third way is by feeding on the work of God. The work of God. Once again, his words were, my meat is to finish his work. My meat, that that is sustaining me, is that I must finish the work. The Lord Jesus worked to an hourly program. Think about this. He was never ahead of his time, and he was never behind. Every day's work was carefully planned and thoroughly done. Ladies and gentlemen, he was not late to pray for Lazarus. They said, Lord, if you would have been here, he would not have died. He was right on time. Sometimes we think God is late. He's late maybe according to your clock, but not according to the clock of the will and the work of God. Because God can do anything. In fact, on one occasion, when his respected mother suggested he perform a miracle before the appointed moment, he said, mine hour is not yet come. And as he did each day's work, so he found the very doing of his task for food for his soul. Because he was all God and all man. And there was that in, inward longing and distributing at the same time. His inner man, because he dealt with flesh and he dealt with temptations like you and I, had a longing for the word of God. And yet because he was God, he was distributing the word of God. All of it happening simultaneously. And all of it as an example for you and I. So eating of Christ day by day as the bread of life involves meditation on his word dedication to his will, and consecration to his work. But finally, ladies and gentlemen, heavenly bread satisfies, satisfies spiritual life. It not only sustains, but it satisfies. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Man's deepest hunger is spiritual. Let me say that again. Man's deepest hunger is spiritual. Whether or not he knows it, he hungers for God. He hungers for truth. He hungers for life. And whatever else he has in the world, he will never be satisfied until he finds the answer to that threefold spiritual hunger. Material things can't fill it. Relationships can't fill it. 
whatever things you eat, things that you see, things that you wear, things that you do. Neither can the human soul be filled with another human soul, for one empty vessel cannot fill another empty vessel. The wonder St. Augustine expressed it this way, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our restless souls can find no rest until they find their rest in thee. But the glory of the gospel is this, that is, in Jesus Christ, all spiritual hunger can be satisfied. As the bread from hunger, or rather as the bread from heaven, he, sat, he satisfies our hunger. You see, ladies and gentlemen, God created us, every one of us, every man, woman, boy, and girl, God created us. And because he's the creator, he left a piece of the puzzle out. And man spends his existence on this earth longing, searching, what will satisfy this hunger? Ladies and gentlemen, only Jesus can satisfy the hunger. The hunger for God, the hunger for truth, the hunger for life, it can only be satisfied by Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet this morning? If you're searching for life among the world's treasures and pleasures, lift up your heads, lift up your eyes to the one who holds the secret of life in all of its fullness. Listen to his words. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. I close this morning with this story. A missionary was distributing gospels in the central province of India. He came to some non-Christians on a train. He was offering each one of them a copy of the gospel of St. John. One man took it. And in utter disgust, he tore it up into pieces in anger and threw the pieces out the window. And the missionary just simply smiled and said, God bless you, and moved down to the next car. Seemingly, that was the end of it. But it so happened in the province of God that there was a man who was anxiously seeking for some answers, seeking for truth seeking for solutions in his life and he was just walking along and there were pieces of paper that came flying down through the air along the track and he picked up just one little piece of torn paper and when he picked it up he read the words in his own language the words were simply these four words the bread of life he didn't know what it meant. He inquired among his friends, and one of them said, I can tell you it's out of that Christian book. He said, what Christian book? They said, that's from the Bible. You got to read it, you can find it. The man searched and found the Bible, went through it until he found that phrase, that wonderful phrase. He said, that's what I've been longing for. I want to read the entire book. I want to figure out what it all means. So he started reading the New Testament from front to back, front to back, trying to find out what this bread of life was. When he got through reading it for the second time, he 
immediately felt the love of God being poured into his heart. He came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He found somebody that would tell him the truth. And he became a preacher of the gospel. Because of a little piece of paper that was thrown out the window in disgust. But he found just that little piece of paper. And it set him on a journey. That little piece of paper through God's spirit. And indeed the bread of life came alive for him. Ladies and gentlemen, I leave you this morning with this question. Maybe it's only a brief word or a sentence that perhaps lodged in your heart today. But I ask you this, if you will respond to it, if you will give your heart to it, it will become your bread of life. It will become something that will nourish you, satisfy you, sustain you. Something that will keep you in all of your days. Only the Spirit of God can satisfy a hungry heart. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I ask you now, would you respond to the Word of God? Would you respond to this bread of life? Would you come to the Lord now? Would you come to this altar? And in so doing, would you come to where there is a feast that is prepared? Oh, the words of the psalmist are, taste and see that the Lord is good. The old song says, he has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. Come on, the Lord wants to be your bread of life. Why don't you step out of where you're standing right now? People are coming down to this altar. Why don't you make your way forward right now and say, I'm here to receive that bread of life into my heart. The Lord will not turn you away. He will not push you to some far-reaching place, but He will pull you close. He will embrace you, and He will sustain you with the bread of life. Come on right now, my friend. This altar is open, and the Lord is here to give you that bread of life. Maybe there's something that you need deep down inside of your heart. Maybe you're struggling in silence this morning. You don't have to any longer. Don't be like that boy that has that paper around his neck, but never acts upon it. Come on, make your way right now to the bread of life. There is food for you here. There is a God that will satisfy the longing of your soul. Come on, my friend. He is your bread of life.